Hi, I'm Trent Bryson, uh, excited to bring the Grit Rising podcast to you today. Created the podcast to really share stories of people that are doing extraordinary things, maybe uh, not with a path painted for them, but then figuring out their own path with a chip on their shoulder and what makes them tick, what makes them different, and what makes them unique. Welcome to the very first episode of uh, Grit Rising. Um, this is actually a podcast that I had a, a kind of a, an awakening about while I was in Necker Island, um, which is Richard Branson's private island with Mr. Daniel Cassidy here. We were roommates, so he got stuck with me, sleeping next to me for four or five days. And over uh, enough shots of tequila, we kind of came up with the idea that I should start a podcast. It's really around the fact that I get to meet so many unique and amazing people throughout my life. Um, but I never get to share their stories. And I have so many people that say, tell me the story. And it's always hard to repeat those stories because you don't want to you don't want to bore somebody. So now with the podcast, you get to choose on whether you want to hear my story or not. Um, and to be able to hear a story like yours, Daniel, is, is I think, special. And the, the name of the podcast is, is Grit Rising. And um, really my passion around figuring out what makes people tick. What makes somebody like uh, Cassidy, who came from Kenya, and I'm gonna let him tell you a story in a little bit, um, who probably, you know, as a kid, you look at him and you look at brothers and sisters and friends around him and, and you go, why, why is he gonna be any different? What, what's gonna make him different? What's gonna make him have that chip on his shoulder? What's gonna make him uh, excel to a level that, that inspires people like you do today? Um, we'll talk a little bit about race. We'll talk a little bit about inspiration. We'll talk about relationships. Um, and probably talk a little bit about tequila too. I, I thought you were going to be here. I brought tequila for you. So, um, we'll do that next time. Um, but let's start a little bit with, Daniel. You know, just kind of talk about where you're born and, and, you know, not start from the beginning, but start from the beginning and, and, and where you are today. If you, you know, t take some time and just, just share your story. Yeah. First of all, um, I'm really excited to be a guest on this podcast, uh, yeah, I remember the the moment in Necker where we, you know, we just got uh, started this podcast and the impact you want to have in the world with it, and um, just amazing to see you do it. Uh, so excited! Um, but for everyone that's joining in, my name is Daniel Cassini. Uh, as Trev mentioned, um, I was born in Kenya. Uh, if you guys don't know where that is, East Africa on the equator. Um, I'm the youngest of three, and um, you know. Uh, Two parents, you know, um, really wanted us to have a great education and opportunity. So they, they at an early age, wanted to bring us to, to the States. And um, so my earliest experiences was just going to school and growing up in Kenya at six years old. I was in first grade. And uh, my parents had saved enough money, actually raised enough money. Before GoFundMe, you'd have, it was around, you'd have people around your neighborhood and, and families raise money for you to come to the States. And so... They raised and saved enough money myself and my brother and sister here to the to the states and um i remember that moment vividly <clears throat> when they'd raised enough money and they told me and my brother and my sister that we were going to be moving to america and uh, i remember vividly as a first grade and um probably about 30 first graders in my classroom and i go to class and i say hey guys i'm not going to see you guys um next week i'm moving to america Right. And I didn't even know what America was. I didn't know the significance of it. And I remember the entire classroom threw me like a parade. It's like a, it was like a bar miss, but I feel like it lifted me up and just kind of like, you know, it was, it was something that was 
that was special. You know, I didn't even notice it. I was five years old. And, uh, and you talked about chip on your shoulder, that, that moment, that experience has always stuck with me. I always knew from a very young age that I'm having an opportunity that most people that are born and raised where I, where I come from aren't going to have. And so um, I didn't realize, realize the significance of it then, but that, that definitely um, touched me. So fast forward, we moved to uh, the States and guess where we land? Um, right there in Orange County. Uh, we moved to Placentia. My, my grandparents were uh, professors at Cal State Fullerton, the Titans. And um, so we were, we were able to move there and I went to school, junior high, high school. Uh, middle school, high school, and, and percentage. I just grew up Southern California kid. Imagine coming from Africa and then being, you know, being transplanted here. And um, as a young kid, everyone was skateboarding. And, you know, I was trying to find my identity. I love sports where, you know, you can be your own coach, right? Because my parents didn't know to put us in football and basketball. Like those weren't things in Kenya, right? So that it wasn't like a a normal thought to put your children into that. And they were also busy getting degrees and trying to build stability. So I taught myself, first thing I, first thing I taught myself at eight years old was karate. I taught myself, myself how to uh, katas and I taught myself how to become a black belt. And I used to spar with black belts and I used to win, right? People that went to the actual dojo and did it. I taught myself from just researching movies and kung fu movies and things like that. And so um, at a young age, I just had that like, you know, that ability to learn and not necessarily need traditional training uh, or not even need a coach. And then the second iteration of that, when I was in junior high school, I picked up skateboarding. Everyone was skateboarding. My brother did it. And I just thought it was really cool, you know, and uh, I fell in love with skateboarding from the first one I put together. And that was it. I wanted to become a professional skateboarder at 15 years old. And so I just dedicated everything in my life towards skateboarding after school and I got really good at it. And uh, companies started to notice me. I guess I was an influencer before an influencer was, <laughs> was a thing. And I uh, started getting all these shoes and clothes. And um, yeah, that, that was kind of my upbringing. And that's how I started my company. Um, Rastafat, the concept came from me taking one of my shoelaces from these skate shoes that I gotten from my sponsor and just weaving it into a bracelet, right? And I wore it to school and a lot of my friends were like, hey, Cassini, can you make me this bracelet? This is really cool. Can you make it match my sneakers or my hat? And I was like, kind of my entrepreneurial light went on and I said, yeah, sure. Right. At first, it was entrepreneurial. Like, hey, this is a way for me to make a little extra money. Right. And use my yeah. to do it. But as I went to school the next day, and I gave it to my friends. Every single one of them came back to me with a story of, Hey, like somebody noticed me because of this bracelet, or hey, I'm inspired by the creativity. I want to start doing something creative. And so there was this like emotional transaction that I never, ever planned for. And um, that's what made me fall in love with the idea of starting my brand, Rastafat, today was um, finding the why of why I wanted to do it to seek to, to, to inspire people to seek the positive, to impart positivity into the world. And um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. So fast forward, I'm the founder and CEO of Rossball. We've been around for a little over uh, 10 years. Um, we, let, we, we believe we've impacted over 40 million lives uh, around the world with our brand and our message. And uh, over 15 million of our products have been uh, distributed in the world. So we have a great team based in Long Beach, California, actually neighbors right there with uh, the Bryson family and um, just uh, excited to, to give back to the community. So. Um, so that's that. That's me. Pretty crazy. Uh, how tall are you? 
Six four. So six four, African American guy landing in Placentia. And then you you learn skateboarding at five years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but then you get into skateboarding, um, which is the the alternative sport back then, right? Um, so you you come from somewhere else. You go to Placentia. You're skateboarding, which alternative sport generally was associated with. You know, that was when we were getting beat up. I was a skateboarder too, but I was also doing the soccer and all that sort of stuff. But that was associated with skateboarding was like the punk kids right they were the ones that were smoking weed and doing all all the different things there in that in that moment what made you go god this is i'm skateboarding but i'm skateboarding for sport not for going down that other path does that make sense absolutely you know it it was skateboarding was widely associated with a counterculture you know even in orange county you kind of had small little you know gangs and things like that and so for me you know my mom my, my dad split up when i was in junior high school and 15 years old is right when i got into high school um i had to make a decision of how i was going to spend my time right and, and uh and stay out of trouble honestly because my brother skateboarded he got into a little bit of trouble and kind of fit that that culture but I decided to to utilize it as a way for me to focus on something that I loved, but also have a goal. I made a goal for myself, if you know, to turn professional by twenty. So I didn't look at it as like a social, um, you know, way to kind of fit in, if if you will. I looked at it as something that I loved and, and had a bigger goal of how I can take my life into a different place. And so that's how I looked at it. I don't know why I had that level of um, awareness at such a young age, but or at that age. But I did, and that's that's. I think that's just how I approached things. Even when I was younger, and I taught myself karate, I was like, it was like, okay, I want to be this. I want to become black belt. It was it was never about just doing it because it was fun. Like I liked it. It was fun, and I was passionate about it. But I had a goal, and that's just the way I, I've always been. When you were doing that, you know, as you look up to the older kids, which was you know very that that alternative culture as well. Was there a, a specific one that you? were drawn to more than others, meaning some kids are going to be really good skateboarding and and go off and do what they're not supposed to be doing. And then others are going to be more positive. Um, and that was right at that turning point, right, where skateboarding was becoming legitimate. And you had some guys that were doing some amazing things, you know, when Tony Hawk and Mark Gonzalez and, and Lucero and, and those types of, of athletes out there were starting to be like real athletes, right? And people were starting to actually like pay attention. Was there one of those that you looked up to that was like, ah, I want I want to be like that? Because it's not like there was a six four African American skateboarder. You're like, I want to be like that. I want to be like Mike. There, there was no Mike. Actually, there was. You know, and it's uh, quite quite interestingly, there was a there was a guy named Kareem Campbell. Um, and if you look at if you ever played Tony Hawk Pro Skater when it first came out, as skateboarding was becoming more commercialized, he was one of the the few African American skateboarders from Harlem, moved to Venice Beach and like had this really great style, you know, and it was just like, just re- I just resonated because I'm like, man, he was Michael Jordan to me of skateboarding. And so um, there were definitely role models there that, uh, that, that made me want to excel into it. Um, I'm not sure there was a lot of positive role models in the skateboarding. I think it was still a culture where, you know, guys were going out and you know, skateboarding and, and had, had, you know, without insurance and people were drinking at a young age and this and that. So it wasn't, it wasn't a sport today where people get paid um, enough to make a living 
and take it seriously enough, just like any other athlete where it is today. Um, skateboarders today don't drink, they don't smoke. They're, they're athletes. Yeah. Their bodies. And just like, just as LeBron James or anyone would do. Right. And so, um, but I did have, you know, there were some African-American guys that, that, uh, that I resonated with and people that weren't African-American, you know, I think skateboarding is the great thing about it is it brings so many cultures. Um, I'd even say my taste of music outside of hip hop and rap and things like that comes from skate skateboarding. It was from watching skate videos and seeing the guys that were like more punk, you know, and the music that they, cause I love watching their yeah. skateboarding. Maybe I wouldn't have been initially uh, attracted to the music, but I love skateboarding. So I had to watch their video parts and they were playing, you know, Iron Maiden and things like that. So I started getting a respect for different music and different cultures. So that was a really cool part about it. So I, I often say that um, when I didn't make the Olympic team in 2000, that was like the best thing that happened to me. Failure was, was, was something that was special um, for me, not in the moment. In the moment, I felt like I didn't make it and I wasn't going to be good enough and et cetera, et cetera. Um, when you didn't make it or you made it there, but not all the way there, talk about like what that did to you psychologically. Now you look back at it and you say, well, you probably wish you could have made it right. But like, what was the good and the failure? Did, does that make sense? Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I, I set a goal for myself at 20 to be pro by about 18. I knew that I was probably going to get close, but probably not going to get quite there. I kind of knew. And by that time, I'd already started my brand concept, Rastaclad, and I was doing it as a hobby business at that point. Um, so even though I didn't reach the goal of, of becoming a professional skateboarder, I had found something along the way that I thought was, you know, I, I loved business. I loved fashion and I loved business. There were two things I loved at a very young age and I just kind of saw a path, you know, and I had this idea that kind of came to me and people loved it and I saw a path. So even though one door sort of seemed to be closing, another one seemed to be opening. And so I just jumped right through that, you know, and without skateboarding Ross Cloud wouldn't be even though I'm not a professional skateboarder but if if I would have, if I became a professional skateboarder maybe Ross Cloud would have never existed right yeah. so it's uh neither is good or bad it's just you know that's just the way life goes and I think there's just uh it's just being mindful of the doors that open and close and I always feel like doors are like pendulums they're like windows and you got to really jump through them at the right time or else they, they move on. And so it's, it's, it's incumbent on us to like really be um, mindful and aware of what's happening around us and just, you know, be able to take advantage of those opportunities when they come along. So yeah, maybe, maybe it's a failure. I didn't get there, but it's a success that I saw something else and, and went full force. So you, so you, fail but not fail and you start to get into business and um, maybe talk a little bit about the early days of grinding away at a festival i mean it's not everybody always thinks you know like w when they see you and they see your success they just kind of assume that we're always there right um but a lot of people don't see you know you putting a bunch of shoelaces on a board and going to a, a festival and, and and trying to make money with it just kind of walk through what that felt like what you did and then the psychological part of, of doing that. And before I get to that part, you know, there's a little bit of a timeline um, clarification. So I came up with my concept for my business as a 17 year old, and I didn't know how to make it into a business um, because 
You need to learn how to manufacture, manufacture um, overseas. You needed money. You needed mentors. I had none of that. And so I, I kind of put that in my pocket too. And I ended up going to school. I studied business, apparel manufacturing. I, I designed for Levi's, Disney, Speedo, all these great companies. But it took me seven years after graduating high school to start my business after I had all that um, experience. Um, so that that's kind of how I, so that's how I worked. And so when you think about the early days, you know, I basically put my mindset in when I started Rastaplot at 28 years old was I bought 4,000 bracelets, right? I had no plan of selling them. I said, hey, I'm going to buy this product and I'm going to bring it in and I'm going to figure out how to do it. And kind of putting my back against the wall because I knew if I, if I overthought the plan of how I'm going to sell it, where I'm going to go and put a super thorough business plan together that sometimes overthinking leads in action. You know, when I said, let's just do it. You believe in yourself. You believe in the product. Let's go. And so, yeah, I used to wake up every, the nights before a festival, I'd go to festivals. I'd sell my products the night before I'd go and I'd repaste the, the, uh, the parking garage because I wanted everyone to know my brand before they got into the event. And then when I was, when we were in the event, I would go to all the bathrooms and I'd put, I'd put uh, posters in the urinals and all the stalls, right? Because if you're at a festival, there's only two places, there's not very many places where you have to focus and you, there's not a lot of distractions. So that, that was my early marketing, um, marketing tactics did really well. I made, you know, I was making like $50,000 a year out of college and my first year selling my bracelets to festivals, I made $80,000. So there goes my, my college education and, and just grit. When you talk about grit, just the grit to go out there and vend and do it every Saturday morning when your friends are partying and doing different things was just, uh, was something that I was willing to do. And, um, but how did it feel? You know, it, it was exhilarating just to be able to see other people that resonated with the brand and the product. Um, people that didn't know me, they just were like, man, like, this is great. You're out here, you're doing it. And uh, that inspiration just kind of like fueled me, seeing people happy about their products, wearing, wearing my products, like fueled me, you know? So it felt really great. It was also a really lonely place, right? In the earlier days, there's no one that's going there with you. I was, I was, a, I was a lone wolf and, um, you know, it was lonely, but you get enough small wins and, you know, you need like the, the dopamine before the low. There's this highs yeah. and lows. There's weeks where you sell a lot. And there's weeks where like, man, like no one's buying, you know? So it wasn't all just kind of gangbusters. It was an emotional journey that went along with that. And so uh, you just had to endure it. You know, it's so unique because I think sales 20 years ago versus sales today, like when I see kids coming out of college or whatever, it's almost like they look at sales as like a bad thing, right? Like, oh, I have to go sell something, something. Um, but here you were grinding away, selling a shoelace. And and uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a little bit of a story. I, I, when I had the indoor soccer center, we were just trying to find ways of, of revenue. And I was like, oh, let's go buy some coffee and donuts and then we'll sell it for a profit, right? And I remember one of my employees and I got in a full-blown argument about, um, he thought I was charging too much for the coffee and the donuts. He, he didn't like the margins. It was in his world, like we shouldn't be making enough money off of coffee and donuts. We should have just been like giving them away in, in that, you know, not knowing that we're losing money on the back end and that sort of thing. So the, the sales mentality is such a unique, I think, mentality to have. And especially when you're grinding away, selling, selling your own bracelets. Um, how did you take that mentality and start to build 
employees and a culture and a company around that. It's one thing when you believe, hey, I built this bracelet myself, I tied it together, I did, or I sourced it, I, I built it, but then how did you start to get those around you to believe in Rastaclot, what you were doing and how you were doing it? Yeah, that's a, you know, that's that's quite the journey, you know, from, from sort of proving concept. You know, when you start a company, the first thing you have to do is prove the concept, you know? Is this a viable business? Is there a margin? Is there a customer base? And so I was able to do that. But to get to the next level of scalability, I had to figure out how do I get other people to believe in this vision and also help me champion it. And that's where our message, our brand message, why we belong, why there's a need for a Rastaclot in the world really came important, the culture behind what we do and the message, because people don't come and join your business to make for the business owners to make a lot of money. They join the business because they want to have a part in something bigger than themselves. So the first thing that we focused on is, you know, what are our core values, really identified what those are, really what is the business mission statement? Why are we, why do we belong here? And every single time I interviewed someone, I tell them the story and I said, hey, my goal is to scale positivity. I want everyone that, that experiences our brand to have a, a good feeling, right? that they want to take that and also take action and, and be a good person in their lives as well. And if we can do that by the millions and by the billions, and that's a job well done, you know, a brand shouldn't just exist to drive revenue. A brand should exist to educate. It should exist to inspire because when a customer comes into your brand for, for instance, us at 15 years old, they may not leave. They want the brand message till they're 40. So, Think about having someone's attention for 25 years, right? What, what the responsibility you have with that and the opportunity. And so that's what people get excited about. That's how I built my team. People that are they're like, their eyes light up and they have a skill set that's, that's really uh, meaningful that can help us. And that's how we, we did it. And so we started, uh, yeah, started small. I, I built the warehouse team. I've got some great partners in the company, Eileen Chen, who joined really, really early and really helped me build the operation side, the finance side, the culture piece. She's just a great leader um, that's helped me build this. And um, now we have a full full management team that's a part of Rastaclot. So, and over hundred employees globally. So, um, and that's just, we just continue to do that every year and focus on um, what our culture is and what our why is. Yeah, you, you know, it's unique when you hear things that are a little bit cliche today, like vision statement, cult, you know, mission statement, values, like that's like every Harvard business class probably talks about that, right? But then what I've always been so impressed with you is where that actually like meets the road. Like when you go into your office, you have your different rooms that are labeled from a cultural standpoint with your with your company, right? You know, the, the Rasta Den or, and, and the clot and, and, and some of those definitions. And it almost, uh, it's unique because you, you have that Disney experience, but it almost, it's like you create the suspension of disbelief. When people go to Disneyland and they go through a ride, they, they, they lose themselves, right? They're, they're part of something larger. They're part of something greater. When you go into your, your den or your conference room and it's named something and it's looked like something, it creates a little bit of that suspension of disbelief, which takes away the cliche of vision, mission, you know, all those 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 terms you hear. Kind of walk through what where you came up with that, how you came up with that, or, or what you think the ultimate influence is at. Because now we're going to a new world of remote, right? So you went from, hey, we're walking into this conference room of 
we have this den that's named clot and this is what a clot means and et cetera, et cetera. And then now we're like, eh, I don't know if they need to be here. So kind of go through that evolution for me because I think it's powerful. Yeah, I think first and foremost, everything is storytelling. Um, I've always been really big presentation and everything tells a story, right? <clears throat> and so when my belief was when our team would come and we call them the pride, because our logo is a lion and lions form prides and prides of family. So when the pride comes in to the lion's den, right? It's like, we want them to feel like they're in the lion's den. So everything matters in that, right? Every nuance matters, what we call the rooms, what the vibe is, all those type of things. Because when they come there, they believe, they feel like they're a part of it. And it is a little bit of like a, a disposition, right? And, um, but it's important, you know, it's important to, um, to be able to get that emotion for people to feel like they belong um in, in something and people are dedicating eight ten hours in that in that space and you just want it to be comfortable but you know just be, being mindful about that storytelling being able to walk someone through my office and be able to tell a narrative is is really really impactful and so now with the post-pandemic world or wherever that you think we're in you know we're we're pretty much hybrid where we're pretty much remote most of the time and then we have conference rooms now. So now it's about how do we build that culture digitally, you know? So we do a lot of different things. We do clots and clatters with some monthly town halls. We try to engage everybody in that. We have groups on Slack where it's like, we do, um, we do like health challenges and everyone's kind of empowering everyone else. And so just trying to find different ways to, um, to continue the culture, even though we're not seeing each other face to face. And one of the coolest things that we do, we do it in Long Beach a lot, is every three months we'll go out and we'll do a philanthropic event. You know, even though we're in our offices, in our homes, we get out of the office, everyone comes out, we get back to the neighborhood. Um, we did schools on wheels a few months ago. We gave hundreds of backpacks to kids um, before the school year started. Uh, we did something around Thanksgiving with a bunch of um, uh, cookies and all the different fixings for Thanksgiving. So just trying to continue to build, you know, um, our culture within everything that we do. So it's challenging and we don't have to figure out new ways of doing it because the world is never changing. But that's the, uh, that's the fun part too. That's uh, love, love the HR team and everyone that's involved because that's what they get to do all day is think of different ways to engage, to engage uh, our pride. Yeah. You know, it's unique. You, you came from this concept of family, right? That, that saved up or, or created this party to raise money for you to come to America. It's a life-changing event. Then you become part of a, a skateboarding family or community and you got to choose who's the right brother, who's the wrong brother to hang out with, right? You know, um, And then you you create this this pride of people that you are. So that this family theme is, is throughout it. And then now we're going to shift gears a little bit because of the idea of grit. You know, what's unique about that is the same, it seems like the same principles that drive our successes are being driven to to do other things too. For example, in, in Long Beach, as you know, I'm involved in the Boys and Girls Club. We have 2,000 kids that come to Boys and Girls Club, but 4,000 gang members, right? And gang members, when they generally join a gang, they're, they're joining a family, right? Or when a skateboarding, like when we were kids, there's, there's the, the bad family, right? And there's the good family, a little bit more choices versus who you're born with. Um, so again, how does Daniel come up, 
probably if you look at you in a, in a lineup in Kenya and you look at you in a lineup in high school, continue to choose the right family, continue to bring in the right family to surround with. And what would maybe be your advice? If I'm a parent and I have a kid, I, I know I have a 16 year old daughter that I'm stressed about who she hangs out with all the time, right? So what's that differentiator that was important for you? Yeah, I, I think for me is, uh, I think the only thing that's kept me in the straight path is, like I said earlier that, and I don't know how this translates for other people, but there's a moment in my life where I knew that I had a purpose, that, that I have a reason of being here that's bigger than myself. And I'm not sure if my parents instilled that in me more than I just kind of noticed that, that I was lucky, right? And so I think if you if you're able to instill in your children and people around you that you know, there's a, there's a sense of um, gratitude for where we're, where we're at and things aren't promised. I think people start to take things, you start to look at your opportunities differently. And it's very difficult, right? Because if you're born in, let's say you're born, let's say I was born in Placentia, like I, I probably may have not had this kind of grit, you know, because I, I didn't see something else. And so one of the things that I urge people is give your children perspective. Right. It's like a lot of us live in a bubble, like we're born in the city, we stay in the city, we never leave it. Um, and one of the things is I'm starting my own family is like when we go on a vacation, like, yeah, we can go do the fun things. But if we're going to go to a nice vacation in, you know, Baja, California, well, guess what? Let's take one day to go in and serve the community and see those kids that, that are living a different lifestyle and then let our kids be involved in that. So when they come back here and they have they don't experience that lifestyle. There's a level of awareness and, and maybe they start making decisions a little bit differently and choosing and making different choices because they have a different level of attitude. And so that's probably my advice. Um, I've been able to, luckily I was born in another country and it's given me a kind of a chip on my shoulder, but not everyone's going to be born with that. And we all work so hard so our kids don't have to be born with that, but we want them to have that. You know, it's just like, it's just yeah. Um, but I think exposing them, you know, exposing them to what the world could be and what other people go through. I think anyone that has a heart is going to, is going to, is going to be affected by that in a positive way. Do you think that when your parents moved you here, that they put a set of expectations on you, um, to, to, to earn the move here or to be somebody once you came here, or do you think they moved to here because it was a better life and, you know, Hopefully he does great. I think it's a bit of both. I think even till today, you know, my parents have a level of expectation on me. I think I think my their expectations of me have gotten um, even higher as I've gotten older and gotten more successful. I think as a kid, they were they just let me be. You know, I think we culturally knew that there was a level of expectation, um, but uh, but yeah, I think there's 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 a level of expectation culturally, but then there's a level of mental health that you need to maintain and you need to feel good about what you're able to contribute to people and in, in the community and look yourself in the middle at the end of the night in the mirror and say hey i'm doing i'm doing good and i'm fulfilling my, my purpose but i'm not i'm also not losing myself in that process and that's a that's an interesting journey um especially when dealing with uh parents and their expectations and you know what's what's authentic to you um, but that's what I try to do. I try to strike that balance. Um, there's always expectations. And I put a lot of expectations on myself. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to waste the opportunity. You know, I think I have a great 
that's why it's great to do this podcast. I have a great platform. I have a great story. It's like, how do I, how do I inspire others? How do I make a change in other people's lives? And so it's about never getting comfortable, right? Even if you are, if, if you've accomplished what people think is success, there's always another level. So, um, and it's not always money. It's, it's impact for me. So, um, yeah. You talk about being uncomfortable. Um, African-American skateboarder in Placentia, like life couldn't have always been comfortable. Let's, let's shift to that a little bit. Um, especially in the last couple of years with, with the different movements around the country and, and you and I were lucky enough to be in Necker and be inspired by so many people doing so many amazing things as it relates to the African-American community. Um, our friend Rodney out in Atlanta, what he's done as a, as a white middle-aged male for the African-American community and his friendships and that sort of thing. Walk through like your your th- perception of being an African American kid growing up in Orange County as a skateboarder, and then has it changed over time as a successful CEO? Or are there still times where you feel those types of moments? Meaning, do, do you see where I'm going there? I, I had a, I had a client the other day that um, private equity, and he said, you know, when I was when I was younger, before I, he went to historical black university, he said, I dressed away, I talked away, I was treated away. Then I started to become more educated, make more money, do all these things, and I was treated differently. Do you see that today with your success that you're treated differently than you were maybe treated as a kid, as a skateboarder? Yeah, I think, you know, I think race is a lot, to, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. And yeah, when I moved to Presentia, I was one of four African-Americans in my entire school. Um, people saw me different, you know, even being African, I was already even separated from African-Americans because they would be like, well, you talk, you talk weird, you know? Yeah. So it was always, um, it was always that. And the, my level of, and it's worked towards my advantage in certain ways. And, and I don't know, maybe it's just my mindset. I've always seen, anytime I see it, every time there's a barrier, I almost just ignore it. Right. So I know racism is real. I know um, systematic you know, um, prejudice is real and all those things. And so as I grew up, I knew that I was of a different race. Sometimes I get treated differently, like all the horrible things that you've heard that have happened to other people that are African-Americans. Some form of that has happened to me numerous times in my life. Um, but, but I think I learned to navigate. I learned to navigate around all races, right? And, and make sure that when I walked into a room that someone someone respected me for me, right? And so I don't change, I haven't changed anything about myself from when I was a young kid till today. I don't change the way I talk. I don't change the way I walk. I don't change the way I dress for anybody. Um, but I do want to be able to, I let my actions speak for themselves, right? So I, I have to make sure that when I walk in a room, someone knows that, yeah, this man has built a business from scratch. You know, no, I've, I've never even gotten a loan for my business, for my business. No, nothing, no funding just from scratch. There's a level of, of appreciation and respect that people give you for that. And so I think instead, my approach has always been instead of like asking for different treatment and asking for like kind of doing that, I'm like, I'm just going to work my ass off and people are going to be forced to treat me with respect. Right. And so versus expecting that, because that's not realistic in every single community. Right. It's just not going to happen um, in every community. We hope it does. We hope the world moves in that direction. But um, my goal is to work my ass off and let my 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 words, let my actions, let who I am speak for themselves. And 
what I've learned is most people are good people. And when they see that in you, they'll, they, they resonate. And so, um, so yeah, my approach isn't different. I just, uh, I almost blind myself from all the barriers and all the negativity that happens and just focus on the things that I can control, which is what I do and the impact that I have in the world and uh, let, the, let the cards fall where they may. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I think I might have even sent this to you, watching Kobe speak the other day about finding a way how AI came into the league at a different time than MJ came into the league at a different time and he came into a league at a different time. And and he would be, you know, somebody that obviously has grit and is, is, is you know, would be one of my heroes, uh, if not the, um, but he talks so much about just finding a way and, and, and you know, you talked about a little bit of it earlier too, about a business plan. Like I, I think sometimes if I've built a business plan and I'm trying to execute when something doesn't happen with such a rigid business plan, you think it's a failure, right? But there's something to the fluidity of having a business plan, but being open to anything or having a very loose business plan. So we have, you know, you go to Harvard Business School, you create a business plan, you follow this plan, X, Y, and Z, but but that doesn't always happen. There's that, there's that finding a way and and it's different for all of us. And I'm always um I'm always so impressed with those that just seem to find a way. Is there like a go ahead? One note on it, and I think in regards to finding a way in race, it's like I don't want to be insensitive. There's a lot of barriers, there's a lot of work that needs to happen, you know. And so, but what I would give a young minority or any kid that's feeling like they're the world is stacked up against them is you know half of that is in your, half of that is real and probably more than half of that is in your mind right and so if you can if you can get over the fact that you are oppressed right and just know that that's just going to happen in certain ways and you you'll start to find solutions of how you could find success Right. And that's kind of what I mean. And that's how I've treated myself throughout the way. It's not to ignore that the things are out that are working against you, but it's to have a problem solving mindset, have a positive mindset, have a mindset of gratitude and abundance, even if it's not there. And that's what helps you progress and, and overcome. You know, you, you just touched on something that I think it's like, we try to put people in like, different sections all the time, right? Like um, somebody's either has an excuse or doesn't excuse, right? What you're saying, I think is, hey, no, there's absolutely a larger barrier for an African-American kid in a, that grows up in the hood than there is to Trent who grows up in Newport Beach, right? I couldn't agree more with you. Like, I think that everybody goes like, it's either one way or it's the other. And, and but there's, there's absolutely greater barriers there. So one, I think as, as a as a country or nation or society, we need to acknowledge that, right? And then go, how do we create more opportunity? How do we how do we create the same opportunity for everybody? Um, and then two, so there's that recognition, but then there's what I think you're talking about too, is also there's, let's not wait for that to happen. Like, like you went and, and made that happen. Like, I think that it's, you're in my responsibility as successful entrepreneurs to go, how do we take our success and create equal opportunity or greater opportunity for kids that didn't have that opportunity? How do, how do we give back at a greater level? Um, acknowledging that that exists, not just saying it doesn't exist or it does exist, which everything is so polarizing in, in today's world, right? Everybody says like it's either happening or it's not happening and and this is the way it is. And I think you, you, you just pointed out such a, a great way of saying it. It's like, hey, this exists. I'm going to fight through it. 
And then it's up to guys like you and me and, and, and those around us to go, how do we create the next generation of a fairer opportunity, a, a, a better opportunity where we do come together, where we're not saying this in this polarization of a world where all white people are on one side, all black people are on the other side, and, and maybe there's a couple in, in between that, that cross. And and it's like, no, we're, we're in this together. And, and the way that we create peace and equality is and, and safety is creating opportunity for everybody and, and creating that pride that grows right from, from all races, creating that family that that it, like you and I have, you know, you and I look look very different. Like you're way taller than I am. Um, <laughs> I have a better jump shot. Um, <laughs> but how do we how do we create that for for the next generation and for the current generation? Like it's not just about the next generation. It's like how do how do we cross that today and go? Oh my God, this is this is something that that's so relevant and this creates the peace. This creates the the lack of, you know, looting in Long Beach was devastating to me. I felt like we just spent 20 years, you know, trying to come together as a community. And then I felt like it was one side against the other, which which shouldn't have been that way, right? So um, you pointed that out, so crazy. Is, is there a, a moment or an event in your life that you say, hey, this, this changed me, this changed me forever. Um, this put that chip on my shoulder, this put that, I'm going to prove that wrong. Maybe it was a, hey, this this is a pretty girl that I want to impress one day. Wh- whatever, whatever that may be in your life. W- was there any anything like that that you think gave you an extra chip on your shoulder? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I go back to when I went at my first grade class, and just knowing that those thirty kids that were in there, I was one of thirty. And there's a reason behind that. So I, I've always kind of gone through life with the the the, the eyes of where's the opportunity uh, for me to maximize, to realize my my potential and my reason for being here. And so that's the moment for me. You know, I was six years old. You know, and just um, and I've taken that along with me throughout my whole life. And uh, that's what gives me the grit and just thinking about every single person that probably gave up a meal with their family or gave up buying someone else a gift to put money in that pot for me. Yeah, that's a, that's pretty special. Um, And when you go back and you look at um, like the movement from where you go from Kenya and you go to America, I, I, you touch on it, previously but not really like the kids like kind of went nuts that day right it was like a celebration just because i think it's such a special moment right like how often do you have all your best friends going nuts for you right like like we don't all win the super bowl every week right so in that moment that was your super bowl you were the mvp just explain that a little bit because it's such an amazing story yeah you know it's uh it's 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 interesting because you just don't know it when you're go. You're so naive at that age. You don't really understand things, and and uh, yeah, it just felt it just felt uh, it was just exhilarating. It's almost funny being so excited about something and not even knowing what you're why people are excited for you. Yeah, it's like someone throwing you a party and not telling you why, you know. And um, and uh, and then you have to go through your whole life figuring out why that party was thrown for you. And uh, that's what it feels like. And I still think I'm going through that even at 38. I'm going through my life figuring out why that party was thrown for me 
and why that excitement was there for me because that's going to be and I, I think even on my in my last days I'll still be exploring why you know yeah. um, and my only hope is through that process that I've been able to impact and change enough lives where other people can other people can tell me this is why because this you you've been able to give me this opportunity you've inspired me to do this or that and um but I'm always going to be asking why and I'm always looking for ways to to do that and that's why that, that moment is so special because it's, it's always going to be with me for the rest of my life and it's always going to be a engine behind uh, everything that all right, I'm gonna go rapid fire five questions to finish this off. And, and I just want you to respond in, in a quick sense. You ready for this? First of all, what's your superpower? I think my superpower is vision. Okay. Being able to see things that haven't uh, come into fruition yet and, and go after them. What do you hope is your legacy? Inspiring the world. Inspire, keep going. One, one more on that. Well, inspiring the world, you know, with positivity, with mindset, inspiring the world to, to, to just be able to chase their dreams and, and create something out of nothing. If you could be anywhere in the world right now, where would you be? Right here. And who would you be with? With you. Oh, you're the best, bud. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the time. Um, we covered a lot, and uh, and I appreciate you spending time. It was my first one. Um, hopefully, we both didn't suck, you know. And, That's a uh, point. You're, you're, you're on a you're on a on a on a rocket ship going this way. So excited to see the journey. Well, I love you. I appreciate our friendship. You've inspired me so much as we've gotten closer. Um, you know, we spent five days in paradise together, and every every night and every morning we kind of like looked at each other like god how good is this life and i think that your perspective of like how do we keep going was was so inspiring to me is is not 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 to just enjoy it fully but to enjoy it and say how are we gonna what's what's the next step how, how do we how do we take this further um you talked a lot about your foundation and how you want to grow the foundation and and do good and then i think the other is with our current society being so polarizing, just the positive vibes and the positive energy you have. I know that I actually went through a pretty rough week that week and, and you gave me that bracelet and I, I, this watch is the only thing I ever wear. Um, and I wore it till it broke. And, um, and so it even worked for me at my level, at my time and what I was going through with, with my daughter. And so that's a, that's a pretty powerful thing that you're doing. Um, and I'm 45, I'm past your 40 You're I think you said 15 to 40. So, um, oh, we're keep, we'll, we'll, we'll add another, uh, 10 years for you, Trent. Don't worry. All right. We'll, we'll keep going, keep inspiring. And, uh, thanks for your time today. Thank you. Let's, let's, uh, let's continue to inspire Trent. All right. All right. Love you, brother. Take care. You too. Peace.